What's the plan? Okay, in the bottom of the ninth, when the Phillies are up by like 50 or 60 runs, Dennis and I are going to start beating the shit out of right, each other. Yeah. We'll attract the attention of security. Yeah, and that's when I run on the field and kiss a player. Oh, oh there it is! Who there is! And let's go. And coming at you from the basement of the basement of WCBTA 20 in Chicago, this is the Sports Cubicle. The inmates run the asylum. Our boss, he's going to yell at us on Monday morning. He's actually on vacation, so he can't yell at us. But we're still going to work overtime. And Paul, it's a glorious Sunday, and do you know why? There's no Bears football? For two weeks in a row. Oh my goodness, to, to what do we owe the pleasure? A day of not having to suffer yet. Well, maybe tomorrow. But right now we're going to enjoy this glorious Glorious Sunday. You know, we're going to go around the rest of the NFL with our good friend Christian Simpson. You remember him, right, Paul? Of course I remember Christian. I, yeah, I never know with your old man boomer moments here. I mean, he shaved his mustache for no reason. It's radio. You can't tell that. And the Chicago Bulls, they're back in business without two of their big star players here. But we're, we're making things work, sort of, here. And, of course, you know, I got Paul here. We got to talk playoff baseball. You know, you heard. You didn't talk playoff baseball with Christian, did you? No. He's a big Yankees fan. Oh. Well, Christian is our NFL guy. Come on, Paul. See, he's having another boomer moment. Mercado, take it away while I give this man his walker. Ah! I'm fallen, and I can't get up. We haven't even hit Halloween yet, but the holiday season has come early because finally joining us in this NFL season is our brother from the Daily Blitz. He is one of the best in the business covering both the National Football League and college football. He is one of the genuinely nice dudes. He is our brother. He is Christian Simpson coming back onto the sports cubicle with the marvelous one, Dan Marber, Devin Single, Paul Shavari, and myself, Mike Mercado. Legend, what is up? Man, it's good to be back. As always, thank you so much for having me on. Of course. Uh, first of all, congratulations on the podcast that's now on its thank second you. season. Some great thank stuff. You. A lot of lot of participation from the audience. We actually thank have some audience participation for this show since you are joining us. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But of course, we're going to talk some bears. We're going to talk some NFL, some pros. But before we get to that, I wanted to get your quick thoughts on what happened between Tennessee and Alabama. How big of a win was that for the Bulls? I know you covered the NFL like a blanket, but I know one of your passions is collegiate football and SEC football being one of the kings of this sport. What did you think when you saw this legendary game this past weekend? Man, well, I knew it was going to be a problem for, for Alabama because dating back to that Texas game, I saw Alabama had a ton of problems. Their secondary isn't all that great this year. And you think of all the Alabama teams that won championships, all those teams have one thing in common. They scared you. Nobody fears this Alabama team now. Texas could have beat them if Quinn Ewers never went down. But just knowing the, the problems that Tennessee puts on the perimeter – offensively, I knew that was going to be an issue for for Alabama and that secondary. There's only so much that your front seven can do. But if you're not covering in the back end, there are going to be issues across the board. And coming into that game, my X factor was Tennessee's wide receiver, Jalen Hyatt. And the kid went out and scored five touchdowns. And my thing, I'm just saying to myself, look, you might want to guard him. Like number 11 right there. You might want to double him. You might want to put safety help over the top. Anybody but him. And they didn't do it. <laughs> and they got burned for it. But Tennessee's the real deal. I love what they do offensively. They run the football with Jabari Small. Have, I think, one of the best quarterbacks in, in the country, in Hendon Hooker. Um, kind of reminds me a little bit of Randall Cunningham. Like, just, you know, the ability to move, the ability to throw the ball on the run. And coming into this game, he didn't turn the ball over. No, he turned the ball over a couple times, but he has Tennessee in great position. They've passed one test. Now, let's see if they can pass another test in a couple of weeks when they play Georgia. Devin, what do you got for Christian? Oh, Christian, you know me. I am a huge quarterback fan. Every time I have, have you on the show, I got to say something about some quarterbacks in the league. And uh -huh. it's kind of weird now because I think for like, what, the past 20, 30 years now, there's been a team that has never had a quarterback issue within the New England Patriots and it seemed like last year Mac Jones was going to be the guy. But now we're having this debate. Is it going to be Jones or Zappy here? So I'm curious, who do you think is going to get the starting role this upcoming week 
and for the rest of the season. And do you think either of these men are going to be the guy who can save this team or is, are the Patriots done being the new dynasty we expected them to be for all these years? Um, I'm a firm believer in sticking with the hand that's hot. I think I would go with Bailey Zappi because he hasn't lost in the game yet. I said the same thing about Cooper Rush a couple of weeks ago with the Dallas Cowboys. And that situation kind of reminded me of 2016. Tony Romo comes in, gets hurt. Young Dak Prescott comes in and the rest is history. Cooper was playing well up until Sunday in South Philadelphia against the Eagles. But I like what Bailey Zappi does. He takes care of the ball. And when you think of the Patriots, they're not going to coach you to your strengths. They're not going to make you mobile. They're not going to make you run the football if you don't have that ability to run. Yeah, if you ever notice that about New England, they stay within their box. So if they don't have possession receivers, they're going to beat you with a short and intermediate passing game. If they don't have the corners to play man coverage, they're going to play zone. So I would stick with Zappy until the hand, until he gives you a reason to bench him. And look, he's won his last two games and he almost beat Green Bay a couple of weeks ago. Um, there's no tape on him, Devin. And you're learning how to defend him and you're learning how to prepare for him as the season goes on. Marvelous. This NFL season, we've talked a lot of Bears, but we get a chance to go national with our brother, Christian Simpson, who's covering everything like a blanket over at the Daily Blitz. Make sure you guys are checking him out all over the universe. We'll get to all the plugs in just a second. But Marvelous, our coach, our scout, what do you got for Christian I wanted to talk about our friends up north, the Packers. Okay. Uh, it looks like they, they're, they're, the receiving core isn't what it used to be. Right. And, and is there going to be a time where the Bears can be on par with them if, if we improve and, and they seem to come down a little bit? Well, the Green Bay Packers aren't that team that we're accustomed to seeing. And if you think about it, Aaron Rodgers has always had receivers that he could lean on. He had Jordy Nelson for a couple years, had Devontae Adams. But to be honest with you, Dan, I'm going to point the finger at Aaron Rodgers. He was selfish. And that's the reason why Devontae Adams won it out of Green Bay, because he took the money instead of structuring his deal to make it franchise-friendly and give Devontae what he wanted. Look at Tom Brady. He's done this for a majority of his career. Hasn't taken the most money, always restructures his contract and says, look, Put that money you were going to give me, put it toward the betterment of the football team. And this is the reason why I can't put Tom Aaron Rodgers in the same category as Tom Brady. That's what separates the two from being good and being outstanding. But Green Bay, I said coming into the year, they had to build this offense around Aaron Jones. Because until you're on par with your new receivers, run the football. Because what's running the football do? It forces teams to put additional guys in a box use that play action, then you can take a shot down the field. I just see Aaron trying to force feed the ball to a lot of these receivers. I remember the first game of the year against the Minnesota Vikings. Aaron threw a a bomb, a a typical Aaron Rodgers pass to Christian Watson and didn't look at that kid the rest of the game. And that's going to kill a kid's confidence moving forward. You got to get him involved. Let him know, okay, look, in this business, you shake that playoff and you just – Run the next play. I'm going to find you again. And you don't see that with him. I just find Aaron trying to force feed that ball. And look at what the Jets did to him on Sunday. They were able to get home with three, sometimes four. No blitzing, putting him on his back. Defensive line was just more physical. The Packers can't stop the run. They're soft. Tua Tungavailoa is coming back to the starting lineup for the Miami Dolphins. And this was a crazy scenario we saw on Thursday night mm-hmm. football after the concussion that or the back injury that he had the weekend before. Christian, you've seen the response from the NFL. You've seen how so many quarterbacks, including Teddy Bridgewater in Miami and Kenny Pickett and a lot of these cats that we're going to see the rest of the season are going to be taking out of games. Your reaction, somebody who's played the game, somebody who scouts the game, somebody who loves the game, from Pee Wee, from Pop Warner, high school, college to the National Football League, this this eye on concussions again, something that I think the league tried sweeping under the rug for a couple of years, especially after that lawsuit. But now that everything is coming to the forefront once again and that scary injury where we saw Tua in the middle of that field, your reaction to the NFL's response, how we got to that situation to begin with, and where we might be heading into this new age of football when it comes to protecting not just the quarterbacks, but these players from uh, brain trauma. Yeah, one, Tua should have came out that game 
and uh, when they played Buffalo in week three, because look, I've had my fair share of injuries, but never have I felt woozy or wobbly after a back injury. You see what I'm saying? Sixteen. So that right there, he should have never came into that game. The following week, he gets hit. And I'm scared for him because he looks motionless at this point. And did you guys see his fingers and how those, yeah, yeah. Like that scares me. Like the analyst in me just kind of went out and this is me kind of reacting to this as a former player. He should have never been out there in that, in that situation because I just thought the turnaround from Sunday to Thursday was too short. And I remember saying this, you know what this incident reminded me of? when Kevin Durant played for Golden State and he ruptured his Achilles, he should have never been out there in that game on the basketball court. I know they're two different sports, but sometimes you have to separate a a player's long-term health from their competitive nature. And it's tough to see Tua go out on on a stretcher like that when that could have easily been avoided. He should have never been in that game against the Bengals, and he should have never came back in that game against the Buffalo Bills because he was wobbly, and you could tell he was clearly concussed. What more did he have to show you? Like That was a red flag right there of itself. Now, my thing is with the NFL moving forward, yeah, they're going to be more strict about these about – these, um, concussion protocols and everything like if if a guy is showing you clear signs that he's concussed don't put him in the game plain and simple christian simpson joins us today on the sports cubicle with the marvelous one dan marver devin tingle paul chavari and myself mike mercado check out all the amazing work if you are addicted to college football and the national football league go over to the daily blitz.blog and of course Follow the show on Twitter, follow the website, follow the podcast that Christian's doing over at Daily Blitz underscore 61. And he's doing some amazing stuff over at the evening quarterback. But marvelous one, a lot of football still to behold an entire season. What else has your brain rattling and that evil mind, e-genius mind of your boy? <laughs> well, you're, we're talking about Tennessee uh, and Alabama. Now, the SEC, I mean, you're going to, it looks like it's going to be maybe the two teams again playing for the championship uh, when it gets down to it. And then, then I wonder what Christian thinks about the whole thing, Oklahoma and Texas during the SEC, and then the, and then the USC and Southern, you know, USC and UCLA coming to the Big Ten. I like, and, and looking forward to UCLA playing Rutgers on a Thursday night. I mean, it's insane. Some of it doesn't even make any sense, except for football, obviously. So what's going on with the, with the conferences, and what do you think about the future of, of uh, college football with this, all these changes. Well, with the, with the SEC right now, uh, I just think there are three teams that really stand out. Alabama, they're still going to be there, but that big game in a couple of weeks um, between Tennessee and Georgia, that's going to pretty much determine who wins the division, who's going to represent the SEC East in the conference championship in Atlanta, Georgia, that first Saturday in December, um, Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC, excuse me, I'm kind of questioning it because I don't think they're built for the SEC. Because when you think of SEC football, three things come to mind. One, I think of special teams. Two, I think of hard-hitting, stingy defenses. And three, I think of teams that can score when they have to. And I think both Texas and Oklahoma kind of cover one of those when it comes to scoring. Oklahoma on the defensive side, I think they can be strong under Brent Venables because he's coming into a year where he didn't really get a chance to recruit his players. So yeah, Oklahoma kind of looked like they were turning the page earlier in the year, but let him get the type of players he wants to run on his defense. And I think they could fare well, but it's going to be, they're going to have some long seasons (laughs) in the SEC USC Man, just keep them in a Pac-12. Just do the, <laughs> like, I, I don't get it. To be honest with you guys, I, I really think realignment is putting a dent in college sports. Yeah. We're going to have to definitely, and Marvelous, I know you and I have talked about this for a long time because I love the chaoticness that is realignment. But listening to both Christian and the Marvelous one talk about this, we might have to do an entire special of that alone when the realignment actually starts taking fold and – USC and UCLA are playing in Northwestern's new billion dollar stadium in a few years. So this is going to be something we're going to have to definitely talk about. Just let me know. I will be here. 
That's and that is why you're the man. Before we head out of here, we got a couple more minutes with the man, the myth, the legend himself, Christian Simpson. Devin, what do you got for our guy today? Well, I guess since uh, the Paulatius one's out sick, I feel like I, I need to ask this for him, Christian. Uh, so let me just get my glasses on, <laughs> my little mustache going. <laughs> Cheer so, on, uh, Liverpool. <laughs> Go Liverpool. Go so, Liverpool. Uh, Christian, uh, last year the Raiders made the playoffs, but uh, this year they're not doing so well, kind of coming in last place here. And I thought with the big changes of Devontae Adams coming in, he's going to punch me in the face when he he's actually hears punch this. super hard. This would definitely help the uh, Raiders out there. I mean, granted, we've seen Devontae Adams' attitude a lot really playing a factor here. And, yes, guys like Hunter Renfro being injured, what, almost every other game now is definitely playing the factor here. So do you think there's any hope for the Raiders here, or are they better off just tanking for the rest of the season? I think, look, they're not. They're going to struggle for the remainder <laughs> of the season just due to the simple fact. I'll tell you, when the AFC West made all those moves with Russell going to Denver – the Chargers getting Khalil Mack, Kansas City trading away Tyreek Hill, and the Raiders acquiring Devontae Adams. The Raiders were still at the bottom of the division. I mean, due to the simple fact, I don't trust their defense. Like, their offense has capabilities of putting it in the end zone, stretching the field, giving you that explosive play down the field. But you got to be able to stop people. So with a straight face, Devin, I ask you, Outside of Max Crosby, who on this defense really scares you? Uh, that's a very good question here. But if I'm going to go, Paul, oh, well, there's this guy and that guy. You know, he was like a first-round draft pick prop prospect. But that's a good quick uh, question, Christian. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I will never sign the Raiders defense in our fantasy league over here. Why would you do that? Why didn't you come to me? Why I would, didn't you come to me? I wouldn't. No, I said I would never sign them. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wouldn't be on the yeah, he wouldn't be look, on the show if he did that. Look, look, because if you did that, me and you were going to have to talk, like, after the show, 10-minute lecture. We're just throwing you know. hands on this episode today of the Sports Cubicle. <laughs> <laughs> we just People are just catching fades left and right. Christian, we got a few more minutes. Uh, before we get the question of the day from our listeners that could follow you, of course, on Twitter, if they want to make sure that they're staying interactive with the website over at daily blitz underscore 61, you can follow the show on Twitter at sports cubicle TV. We got a question from an audience member in just a second, but 15, 20 seconds on this one. Hot take time. Let's do it. Justin Fields, the guy. I think he is if he's used the correct way. Like the same problems that they had with him last year, they're doing that with him again. Like you're trying to turn him in to a pocket passer. You have to coach a quarterback to his strengths, you know, and it's tough that they haven't put the proper offensive line around him, but get the weapons around him, let him play his game. And I think you'll see his potential. You know, it's tough because as a quarterback, you're getting a lot of the blame left and right. It's going to start with you. It's going to end with you. But coaching's a big factor in this. A perfect example I'll give you. Look at Tom Brady with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, it took him a couple of games to get acclimated. Now, his third year with Tampa Bay, he's running the offense exactly how he ran it in New England. All right, before we get to our question from one of the listeners, one of the loyalists of the Daily Blitz and the Sports Cubicle, I just have a yes or no question for you. Uh-huh. Bryce Young is a Detroit Lion next year. I'll lean yes. I'll lean no. You know what? You know what? I'm going to scratch that. I'm going to say no because I don't think he's ready yet for the NFL. There's a couple of things he has to work on. I'm not knocking the kid and his talent, but this is a different level of football. But I'm going to say no right now. What do the people, the peoples have for us, Christian? It is time for a top five, my guy. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. I want to hear this. I so what do you this. got? Tell me. The audience members asked you. They wanted to know your top five. What? Defensive players of all time. So for I, everybody who knows I've Christian. I've seen. That I've seen. That I have seen. Everybody knows Christian, a man of fine taste, knows offense. You know how like the marvelous one here is watching high school basketball, going to Mac basketball games in the middle of winter. Christian is watching high school football, watching collegiate football, but more, speci- more specifically, watching the secondary, watching the defense, watching people get hit. Let him go, Christian. Let's get our top five to end this bad boy. Wow, man, they, they really put me on the spot with Good. this one. But 
top five defensive players that I've ever seen. I'm going to go five to one. Okay. Go for it. Five is Charles Woodson. Yeah, let's do this right. Let's do this right. Number five. Charles Woodson. Like, this guy was the jack of all trades playing corner. He could play the slot. He could play guys on the outside. He could play man. He could play zone. He tackled. And then he gets to Green Bay because he knows he's losing a little bit of mileage with his speed, switches to safety, becomes a defensive player of the year. Remember, this is the first guy to win a Heisman as a defender. And, I mean, just hard-hitting, made the guys around him better. Um, A ball hawk, always around the ball. You know, I think he's one of the few defensive backs in in NFL history with 50 interceptions and 40 sacks. He could play in the box as he got older. And he got smarter as he got older because he's seen everything. But, yeah, Charles Woodson at number five. And he's a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame as well. Number four. Wow. My number four is a guy that's currently playing right now. Aaron Donald, you guys know my rule. You better have game if you have two first names. I mean, he he dominates the game and he can take it over. He's that one guy that you say, yes, I have my pen right here. Look, wherever he is, we have to know where he is at all time. We have to circle where he is because he will wreck your entire offensive game plan. He's John Randall, 20 pounds lighter. I, I think he's better than John Randall. At this point, and but just the fact that he's able to create a pass rush from the interior, stops the run, just dominates, commands triple teams. How many defensive linemen have you seen get triple teamed? And there have been a lot of great guys to play defensive end and defensive linemen. Strahan, Bruce Smith, Jason Taylor, and those guys I just listed all own gold jackets in a pro football hall of fame but aaron donald look he he's a man amongst boys and i mean look he's done it all the three defensive player of the years and now has that super bowl he could have walked away from this game and he would have been a hall of famer five years from now number three. Oh man number three um i'm going to baltimore ed reed he was an offensive minded player on the defensive side of the ball and just like I said that one guy you had to circle in on him to see where he was at all times because he is the only guy I know to make Tom Brady use one half of the field and I even remember Tom saying yeah we got to know where number 20 is at all time but he made arguably the greatest play I think I've ever seen from a from a safety it was 2009 the Colts were playing the Ravens this is Peyton Manning slightly past his prime still playing at a high MVP level. Ed's coming in the box. Peyton's doing his little audible sheriff thing. And Ed drops back because he knows what Reggie Wayne's about to run. And he pretty much followed Reggie and got to where Peyton wanted to put the ball and pick the ball off. And I remember Bill Belichick saying, that's the greatest play he's ever seen a safety make. And when you have a, a, a legend like Bill Belichick praising you, that's really saying a lot. But once that ball hit his hands, he was he was gone. Like he was a menace in that field in space. You couldn't bring him down. And I always call him the heartbeat of those Baltimore Ravens teams. Number two. Number two, look, he looked at me as if I were crazy for not having an all having him on this list. I'm talking about the guy that's really turned Jackson State around and turned them into an HBCU powerhouse. You know where I'm going. Prime time beat by Dion. That's a Jay-Z reference, by the way. Mr. Dion Sanders, greatest corner ever. Name a guy that shut down one side of the field. Look at all the guys he shut down to do it. Jerry Rice, arguably the greatest wide receiver of all time. Michael Irvin, one of the best. And he's a Hall of Famer, but Dion's the reason why you see so many of those shutdown corners today. Like guys that can shut down the entire side of the field and they make you think twice and they make you hesitate. Look, we're not throwing in your direction. And finally, number one. The greatest defensive player I've ever seen with my own eyes is that guy that played for Baltimore. He's the greatest middle linebacker ever, Ray Lewis. And that rule applies for him too. You better have game if you have two first names. Um not only was he the, I won't say he was the heartbeat because that was Ed Reed, 
Ray was the emotional leader. You know, you see those huddles where Ray Lewis is getting them all pumped up and he has he has the 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 chalk all smeared on his face and he's getting in the face uh, of every player. And you even had 10 year veterans saying, look, I'm following his lead. And he hasn't even been on this team five years, but he was as instinctive of a defensive player as I've ever seen. He knew what was coming sometimes before a defense even knew. What, what they were going to run. Like, I remember a game, 2010, games on the line, Baltimore Ravens, then San Diego Chargers, and Ray almost knew that a running play was coming in. He just burst through the A-gap and stopped it and, just, and called game pretty much. But, I mean, he was always around the ball. He moved sideline to sideline, got after the passer. Just, you know, he was that guy that made everybody around him better. And yeah, Ray is the best defensive player I've ever seen with my own two eyes. And before Chicago goes after him, Brian Urlacher was number six, just couldn't get to the top five, guys. <laughs> and mar- marvelous, I expect a top five best offensive rebounders in the NBA from 1996 to 2004 on the next episode of the Sports Cubicle, okay? Dennis Rodman. <laughs> <laughs> with the one, Christian, where can the people find you, my friend? Yeah, log on to the website, thedailyblitz.blog. Become a subscriber today. Enter your email address and anything that goes on the site, you will get to your email inbox. Follow us on Twitter at dailyblitz underscore 61. Like the Facebook fan page, facebook.com. Go to the search box, type in The Daily Blitz, and then follow us on Instagram at thedailyblitz underscore 61. He's a man of the people. He is a brother of ours. He is one of the best in the business, covers everything like a blanket. He is a man. He is the man, the myth, and a legend. He is Christian Simpson. Thank you so much for joining us, brother. Will join us later on in the season to break down a lot more craziness of college football playoffs and NFL playoffs. But until then, we hope you guys are checking out all the amazing work he's doing over at the Daily Blitz. He is the best in the business. Much appreciated, brother. We got more coming up on the Sports Cubicle with the marvelous one, Dan Marver. It's Devin Tingle. Paul Shavari. I'm Mike Bergato. Who can set the court on fire, keep us burning with desire? Who can bring another title here? Who can thrill them, chill them, make them jump up and cheer? Only the Bulls, only the Bulls, only the one and only Chicago Bulls. The now one and one Chicago Bulls as of this recording here on the Sports Cubicle with the marvelous one, Dan Marver, Devin Tingle, Paul Shivari, and myself, Mike Mercado. When you hear this on the Sports Cubicle Sunday night on WCPT, the Bulls will finally have their home opener against the dreaded new look Donovan Mitchell-led Cleveland Cavaliers. And it is going to be the season debut of Zach Levine. And to kind of talk a little bit of what we've seen and kind of the storylines now in this early start of the season. It's the marvelous one, Dan Marver, who we all know over the last few seasons that we've done this show, scouts and coaches and watches high school, college and NBA all over the place, not just on the television going crazy. He is in these gyms. He's watching these games and marvelous. You have gone an overdose of basketball the last few days. What have you seen? What have you noticed the last few days with Ayo Dosumu in the starting lineup? No Zach Levine the last few games. DeMar DeRozan picking up where he started in the beginning of last season and Zach Levine's return this season opener at the United Center. What have you seen for the beloved in the United Center? Well, I've noticed the absence of uh, Zach. <laughs> we re- really need him back, not to be a poet, but <laughs> um, the, the thing is, is that with uh, DeRozan carrying the team, it's, their offense is too predictable. I mean, Vukovic got 24 last night for 32 for DeRozan. It's amazing he's able to score that much DeRozan when he's obviously the focus offensively. And their defense needs to improve a little bit too. And, and Washington's not a great team, and so which is a common theme if you think about the NFL too. But in any event, uh, <laughs> and we didn't never even really talked about the Commanders. But in any event, the uh, that's a team they should beat even on the road, but it will be nice to be fully, fully staffed again. And the fact that ball is out is not helpful either. So I expected a lot more offensive potential, but they don't have all the, uh, 
all the wheels in place right now. So they're still struggling a little bit uh, and, and both ends of the floor. So hopefully they'll be able to work around that and, uh, and uh, make some noise here in the first half like they did last year. And just for anybody who's joining us for the first time this season for the Chicago Bulls, anytime they want to get their sports news, both nationally and locally, right here on the Sports Cubicle. First of all, follow us on Twitter at Sports Cubicle TV. We're going to do our best to always break down and recap the games that lead into Sunday. There's going to be times where a late night Saturday game, especially in the West Coast, or a Sunday game that parallels against a Bears game, whatever. It's going to be a little hard when it comes to Sunday games or Saturday games, but that's why I want to give the heads up because right now for this conversation, I kind of want to take a look for the next few weeks. Let's say the next two weeks where I think the Bulls can tread water and you and I haven't had this conversation into the season, but the Eastern Conference is really tough. I talked about it last week in a recording where it right now, if we're just making bets that the Bulls at their best, if everything is equal, if everybody's healthy, a six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 seat in that range. But if you're seeing from DeMar this level of play still, if if Lonzo is able to come back, if Io is the truth, and this is my big takeaway that I, I've talked to this about many people who come on the show is if DeMar is not not just hitting, but attempting two, three or four three pointers a game, it might adjust your rankings. But just seeing where the Bulls are heading into the first few weeks of the season and where the Eastern Conference is, how confident are you that they're going to avoid the play in? Well, last year, their first half is what avoided them not making the playoffs and possibly the play. And they actually didn't have to do that. We thought that was very likely. And and we're talking about, uh, you know, Desumnu. I mean, the guard play needs to improve. I mean, he scored seven points last night and Caruso scored three, white 10. So, I mean, you need to get a little bit more. Against Washington. Yeah, you need to get a little bit more uh, offense uh, from the guards. But uh, I, I, I think that they'll be okay, but I, I'm just a little worried about their offensive production right now. So let's let's speak about we're not going to have a necessarily a game recap against Cleveland this Saturday night at the United Center, but let's just say it plays out long-term between these two teams, these two competitive teams. First of all, the, the Central, this division is really good. If Detroit's the bottom-tier team uh, of this division, it's a good stacked little – the Eastern Conference is completely stacked, but where do you think the Bulls line up? against the Clevelands. Let's let's just do it really fast. I'll, I'll give you my my kind of rough takes of where the Eastern Conference is. You have Milwaukee, you have Brooklyn, you have Philly, you have Miami, who obviously the Bulls beat, but a team that has all the talent. You have Boston, Atlanta, you have the Bulls somewhere around there. Atlanta, uh, what about a Charlotte if they get LaMelo back? What about the Knicks? The Knicks believe they're in there. What about Orlando? What about Detroit? Cleveland, obviously, I think it's actually a top-tier team. Where do the Bulls kind of rest around there? Can they compete? Is it? Is it? Are we just drinking the Kool-Aid that this team can actually be a top five, six seed? Well, I, I don't think they're going to be ahead of the Bucks yeah. <laughs> or the Celtics or the 76ers. So that that maybe puts them on the border of having a home court, but I think Atlanta is a rising team too. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Nets, it's hard to really gauge how they're going to do. But uh, I mean, the Cavaliers, I think that they match up pretty well against them. So I'm thinking they should be a top eight. I mean, I was hoping that they could be a top four, but I, I look at the, like I say, the Celtics and the 76 of the Bucks, even the Hawks uh, and the Heat. I mean, those those are all teams that. And the, the problem is, is they weren't able to beat those teams at all last year, the teams that, that ended up ahead of them. So that's something they need to work on, too. They need to, to play better against the better teams, obviously. So I think, and this is just, you know, pure speculation and whatnot, if a healthy Zach is on that court against Washington, they probably win that game. I think it was interesting to see Miami kind of play down to where the Bulls are. Miami's an interesting team, though, with Tyler Hero and with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and Kyle Lowry, and they have some interesting things going on over there. So I can see their season going so many different directions. But what what I want to see for this Bulls team the next few weeks is this Zach Levine thing. We didn't hear about it throughout the entire offseason. And apparently this is just going to be management stuff. And I get it, right? This Bulls team, 
ran out of gas last season. It just, it happened. Yeah, they played a better team, but they didn't have anybody. And we're still waiting to see what happens with Lonzo and this injury that was taken care of all the way in January. There are NFL players that are torn ACLs back in January that are getting ready to play back this season. I know it's different sports, different abilities, but it's just that idea of that's now two injuries on this team that have kind of been really weird, come out of nowhere. And I don't want to harp too much on right. on that in the sense of like, that we don't know how severe they are. We're not yeah. in these dudes' bodies. It's just something I wanted to point out. Yeah. This is where I wanted to go ahead, Marvelous. Yeah, I was going to say, it reminds me all uh, kind of like a hockey upper body injury, Corey Crawford. So yes, it's like, yes. you know, there's no, it's like it lasts too long and there's got to be another explanation because it shouldn't take that long. No, and, and and we've seen it around all sports. But again, each body is different. Give them the benefit of the doubt of that. But it's just curious why this happens. This is really why I love having you on when it comes to basketball. Patrick Williams, look at We're taking our time with Justin Fields. There's a lot of X factors and circumstances that go on. Second year, dude. Patrick Williams was the fourth overall pick. He is now, again, he lost the whole season last year, but we're going into these seasons now where you're, you're determining if you're going to give him an extension like they didn't do with Kobe White. And he is not being aggressive out there. Now, he might go off against Cleveland as of this recording and put up 30 points and put 20, you know, like rebounds and become Will Chamberlain all of a sudden, right? Like, I don't know. But from what I've seen, it's more of the same. And this Bulls team, in order to be special, not good, not great. Special. Need him to be special. Absolutely. He's got a – their weakness was actually rebounding. And uh, against Washington, I believe he got exactly one rebound, <laughs> seven points. I mean, they, that, that's – and Drummond is going to help with that too. But uh, I thought that uh, that was their weakness last year in the paint. And particularly, as I always mention, against Milwaukee, it seemed like they were afraid to go near the basket. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so funny you bring that up. Right. Well, yeah. here you talk about the rebounder special special scene. I want you to stick with Patrick Williams for a second, but bringing in Drummond is going to help out that deficiency, and bringing in Dragic is going to help out with the three point deficiency, which also killed that Bulls team. But back to your thoughts on Patrick Williams. Yeah, I, so he's a key, like as you as you mentioned, he was a high draft pick, and and he's got, and we were expecting more of him than what we've seen so far. And uh, it was hard to tell because of the fact he was injured. But assuming he's 100% now, I, he's got to contribute in the rebounding, and particularly, and, and score some. But the rebounding is where they really need the, his, his help. And, like, look, it, there are going to be guys that got to eat on this team, right? Like, Vooch needs to eat. DeMar needs to eat. And, obviously, when Zach gets back, he's got to eat. I think it would be beneficial for this team to have Patrick Williams coming off the bench. I'm not here to question Billy Donovan, but here's my thinking of it, right? If I had the controllers of a PlayStation or Xbox playing NBA 2K, why Patrick Williams would be coming off the bench for me? Because that he can eat. Then the offense is going through him. Then he's the special guy on the court for that unit, defensively and offensively. There are too many big dogs. Too many alphas on that starting lineup of this Bulls team, whether they win 60 game, games or 41 games. Too many alphas on that starting unit for Patrick Williams to become this dude, become Kawhi Leonard, which, you know, baby Paul, people got it already mm-hmm. temper their expectations that just hope that he's an NBA lifer. But that to me, that's the thing. And I'm sure Billy Donovan has his reasons. There's some metrics for it. But yeah. what do you think about that, Marvelous, as a yeah. coach, as a scout, well, somebody who loves the sport? He should be with the twos. Right. That, that's a good thought. I mean, their lineup yesterday for starting was the Rosen, Williams, Vukovic, Caruso, Desumnu. So when Zach's back, uh, what do you do? You put Drummond for the time being as a starter? I mean, you got to have another, you know, another guy at the forward slot. And, and actually, when they have their regular lineup, they seem to be a little undersized at that spot in the past. So they've got to have either Drummond or Williams at the forward slot because the Rosen and, and is, is a forward, but you know, he's more of a, uh, you know, a point forward, shall we say? <laughs> right. And don't forget Javante green was yeah. in the running to be a starting 
the starting power forward for this Bulls team. It's not during this preseason. So I think maybe that was a lot more just to see if they could uh, uh, light a fire up the butt of uh, Patrick Williams. But yeah. that is also something to look into. Billy Donovan is not afraid to mess with this lineup, I don't think. Yeah. I also believe that there is a lot of prove it this season. So I don't know. How long do you think the the, the proverbial leash, the the metaphorical leash is on on yeah. Patrick Williams? Well, I think I think that this is a a, 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 turn, a fundamental year for him to prove himself. If you make the field analogy, the second year, in the second year, you've got to start to prove yourself. And Green is also an undersized forward at six five. So I, I want some more bigs in there. So I'm going to stick with the. You got to have a big in that spot, because uh, you know they're going to have their troubles against certain teams that are that are have some big forwards, shall we say? So I, I like the idea of of having either Williams or Drummond in that spot. But in the long run, I think that, you know, depending on the matchups, they're really going to have to pick up their pace a bit. And Williams is a key, no question about it. They they really are going to be counting on him for production this year. So I'm looking into not only this season, but the next season is looking forward. There's a unicorn, that French kid coming into the league. For all Bulls fans hoping that you're going to be in the lottery, the Bulls don't even have a chance to be in the lottery. They don't have first-round picks, so you can stop thinking about that. Mm-hmm. I think for the future, I think now you know Io is your either starting point guard when Lonzo's not here or the leader of your second unit, so you have that taken care of. So now you know Kobe White is the expendable one. I hope for Kobe's sake so he can make his money, he can get his bag, he's able to – help the Bulls out this season, be a good part of the second unit, hit three-pointers, be an offensive dynamo coming off the bench. And Mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see the Bulls next year. Let's say if they go into the season A, six or below playing team into this offseason, right, into this postseason, do you move Vooch? Do you move DeMar? There are these expiring contracts. Who is the next disgruntled A1 star? Look at DeMar at 32, 33, 34, still a great player. But you didn't get DeMar at 25, 26, 27 in San Antonio. You weren't Mm -hmm. fortunate enough to do that. You didn't have the regime to do that. So you have to start thinking about the next star. And you're going against Giannis. You're going against a Donovan Mitchell. You have everything that's going on with Harden and Embiid. You have Durant and Kyrie. You have LaMelo and Jordan building whatever Jordan's building down there if they get the number one overall pick. And that's even including all the craziness in the Western Conference. But, I mean, there's it's interesting to see how this can all turn out just based off of playoff runs. Sure. Well, you're right. I mean – Still, it's still early this year, so let's oh, not yeah. <laughs> go to twenty three, twenty four yet. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I think this home stand coming up where they finally get home with the three games: Cavaliers, Celtics, Pacers. That's really going to tell us a lot because they'll, they're going to be home in front of their friendly crowd, and and other you know the Celtics are going to be the toughest of the three, obviously, before they go back on the road for the Spurs, and then they have the 76ers at home. So these teams that they haven't been able to beat, the the, the top tier playoff teams, we need to see them start beating them because if they manage to get into the playoffs, they'll be facing them and they have to set the tone that, that, that the other teams can't just, you know, walk over them. I felt like the bucks felt that way. I think that's why the bucks lost the game. They was like, you know, uh, we, we can beat them. Uh, so, you know, whenever we want to. So that's not the kind of attitude we want the opponents to have. <laughs> I think it's fascinating that this entire season, for the most part, is a prove it. Because the league is so deep. There are bad teams, obviously. But there are a lot of teams out there that believe, well, we can – we can make a little run, maybe not win the title and the bulls are right there. And there's a lot of teams that are going to be up in the air throughout this entire season. And we have to see how this lineup looks all together. all together. Even when you get Zach Levine back, you still haven't got Lonzo back. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be really interesting to see this entire season. And I think that's the key word, whether we're talking about this season, this stretch of games next off season, the bulls are interesting. And for too long, they weren't. And it's something you and I have been talking about since last year. It's just great for the town, for our industry, for the league, that the Bulls are relevant and interesting. Now the job of AK and Mark Eversley got them to a championship tier. That's it. 
but it'll be fascinating. (laughs) (laughs) But with that, we're going to be breaking it all down the entire season. It's going to be a fun one. So many interesting storylines. So make sure you're staying right here. Follow us on Twitter at Sports Cubicle TV. And and you know what? I'm going to toss in my countersuit. Uh, Charlie Kelly versus Major League Baseball and the Philly Frenetic. This guy's got a stranglehold on the mask. What's happening? All right. First of all, I had to call him the Frenetic. His name's the Fanatic, but you know, I'm going to get sued by Major League Baseball if I call him the Fanatic. And let's talk about steroids. Can we talk about steroids? Can we talk about steroid abuse? It's It's ruining the game. Well, playoff baseball is here, and uh, as you heard from Christian earlier today, he would not be very happy right now. I'm kind of on the fence right now, pulling for some Yankees-Padres World Series. Got my nice little Padres hat on here, because I see they're the White Sox if they're successful here. And Paul and I talked off there. He's got a little bit different what he wants for the World Series here, but who would have thought right now that right now the Yankees are about to be, I should say, possibly swept by the Astros, and the Phillies currently have that 3-1 to lead here, so I'm... I'm not as happy as you are, Paul. I I think it'll be, regardless of who makes it out of the championship series, I think it'll be a good World Series. But I think we're looking at the Houston Astros as the most dominant team remaining at the moment. So it's their World Series to win. Hopefully somebody can take them down because I don't think anyone really wants to see them win outside of the state of Texas. <laughs> yeah, that's what I got for them. But if you want to go to the Yankees game today, Paul, as you were telling me, we could probably do that right now. It's just... They don't work and do it. Yeah, the prices have gone down to like $28. Who would have thought that a flight to New York would be actually more expensive than a playoff ticket to go see the Yankees? I mean, it'd be nice. Maybe we can go on there and bank some trash cans for the Yankees here. But again, my whole thing every year, what do I say when the playoffs come? You can't trust Dusty Baker in the playoffs. And every year he gets closer and closer to proving me wrong. And ever since, what, 2003, 2004 when he was with the Cubs? Well, 2002 when he got to Game 7, he had a he had a 3-2 series lead in 2002 and lost the series to the Angels. Uh, well, 03, he was with the Cubs. Okay, that's what I meant. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, 02, 0-2 with the Giants, then 03, he came to the Cubs and was five outs away from getting back to the World Series, and then we remember what happened since. But he got close last year, and I think... I think, I mean, we'll we'll discuss it next week when we talk about our reactions to the first two games of the World Series, but uh, it's looking like this might be Dusty Baker's uh, one and only shot at winning a World Series. I mean, I hate to say it, but the Astros, I feel they've been the most dominant team in the playoffs this year. I mean, do you know what the record is off the top of your head? Uh, of the playoffs? Of the Astros right now. Uh, they're on a winning streak that is uh, still active, um, five consecutive games. At the, oh, I'm sorry, no, uh Three plus seven consecutive games at this point that they've won. I don't want them beating a record. Uh, well, did the White Sox win seven in a row? They were eleven and one. Eleven and one, but they never won seven in a row. Yeah, but has this Houston lost the playoff game yet? No, that's what I'm worried about them beating, Paul. Yeah, well, I mean, regardless, they'll they'll win eleven if they win the World Series. Yeah, but if they lose like two, I'll be happy. That's all I want right <laughs> there now you here. Go. All but right. Definitely so Yankees, Yankees steal one sure. and don't get swept. And whoever wins the National League, probably the Phillies, just take at least one from them. Again, I would like to, I've been watching more National League baseball here. I got my Padres hat on here. I just got back from Philly, so I got to see some Phillies games with some Phillies fans. There's some crazy uh, SOBs, as you heard, that crazy man uh, that I... Uh, At the beginning. Had that nice interaction with that man in a Philly courthouse. Sure, wink, nod, nod. You've never seen that show before, so you don't get this. What were your impressions of Philadelphia? Uh, their fans will go crazy. As I, I was a little bit young when like the White Sox were in the playoffs, so I didn't really get to go to bars. I went to one bar during Game 7 of the World Series in 2016, but was pretty dead, and it was kind of like one of those like family-style bars, so it closed at like you know 10 o'clock at night, so you couldn't really see everything. Was it on the south side? Oh, no, this was like the suburbs. <laughs> oh, okay. That explains it more, but definitely just this one bar. It was packed with people, and there was people just outside watching like the you know the little TVs up by the bar stool just screaming during the game, after the game. I got my Padres hat on here, but I bought a Phillies hat too because I'm like, you know what? I, I'll be fine with whoever wins this. But the Padres are still my team of choice here. But right now, oh my God, they—it's kind of funny, Paul. Is I said they're like the White Sox, and it's here on the, uh, the Phillies will have. Uh, I'm sorry, the Padres will have a day where they'll wake up the bats and hit and score like six or eight runs, but they'll give up like nine or ten as well. Yeah, it's been crazy how resilient the Phillies have been in this series. You know, I thought beyond 
there's two best starting pitchers, Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola, that there really wasn't going to be much going for them. And of course, last night, they end up uh, down by a few runs. Uh, before they even pick up the bats, they're down four to nothing. Yep. But then they pick up three runs in the first inning and they hang with them the whole night. But then San Diego takes another lead in the fifth inning. But then what do the Phillies do? They come back and get four runs and take a lead in that game. And they never looked back. They won 10 to 6 last night. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we're recording this, they're they're playing right now. Phillies could close it out. As we're talking, we could be talking about National League pennant winners, or we could be talking about heading back to San Diego on Tuesday. I like to go back to San Diego. But again, if the Phillies continue this hot streak, I think they could actually be the team that beats Houston. I really do. They could be. I mean, they're going to need stronger pitching, though. And and who outside of Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola is going to step up and do that? That's that's really the biggest question with this team. As far as offensively, that's not really a question mark because now Kyle Schwarber's bat has woken up, and boy, has it ever woken up. I think he had the hardest-hit baseball and, and playoff history since the StatCast era of, like, 2013. Uh, the hardest-hit ball or uh, hardest-hit ball in Petco Park history – um, I mean, he he crushed that thing the other night, and he's hit a few home runs in this series already. You got Reese Hoskins, who's been hot this series. JT Real Muto, who's had a great postseason. Bryce Harper, who's, of course, Bryce Harper. Uh, Nick Castellanos has been a little cold, but he had a, a couple of nice knocks the other night. Um, you know, and then aside from that, it's it's a not bad of a bottom of the lineup. Today they got Zach Wheeler going. He's really the strongest pitcher. So if the Phillies can't close it out today, that could be San Diego's best chance to to come back. Obviously, if they can't, if if San Diego can't get to him today, it's all over. But but this would be this is kind of like with the 2016 World Series after the the Indians went up three to one. I was telling Cubs fans, you know, hey, don't worry, you've got your three best pitchers coming up. This series is far from over. So if the Padres can get to Zach Wheeler, you got to have some faith, Padres fans. It could be happening. I feel they just went through their two best pitchers though. Hey, but before we wrap up this segment, though, we got to talk about this White Sox managerial search because it's gotten crazy this week with all of the rumors that are true and not true. So we've heard reports that Joe Espada is probably going to be the manager anyway once the Astros season is over. He's the Astros bench coach. Uh, but you also have reports that he might stay in Houston. You have re- reports that have been since negated that Ozzie Guillen has spoken to the club, but Ozzie said he hasn't spoken to the club nor has been asked to speak with the club. And then you're hearing that Jim Tomei might actually be an actual candidate, but I don't know how legit of a source that is. We'll see who it is. It's probably going to be a spotter. Um, but if not, you know, we'll be following this as closely as we can, and we'll let you know once once we know. Anyone but Ozzy is all I got to say. Hey, but that's going to do it for the Sports Cubicle. I want to thank you for listening. For Devin Tingle, Mike Mercado, and Dan Marver, I'm Paul Shavari. You can follow us on Twitter at SportsCubicleTV. We are on WCPT 820, where facts matter. Santita starts your morning tomorrow, 6 a.m. Jim Tomei for hitting coach.